Section 13 of The Prussian Officer and Other Stories. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Prussian Officer and Other Stories by D. H. Lawrence. The Shades of Spring, Chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 1. It was a mile nearer through the wood. Mechanically, Syson turned up by the forge and lifted the field gate. The blacksmith and his mate stood still, watching the trespasser. But Syson looked too much a gentleman to be accosted. They let him go in silence across the small field to the wood. There was not the least difference between this morning and those of the bright springs six or eight years back. White and sandy gold fowls still scratched round the gate, littering the earth and the field with feathers and scratched-up rubbish. Between the two thick holly bushes in the wood hedge was the hidden gap whose fence one climbed to get into the wood. The bars were scored just the same by the keeper's boots. He was back in the eternal. Syson was extraordinarily glad. Like an uneasy spirit, he had returned to the country of his past, and he found it waiting for him, unaltered. The hazel still spread glad little hands downwards. The bluebells here were still wan and few among the lush grass and in the shade of the bushes. The path through the wood, on the very brow of a slope, ran winding easily for a time. All around were twiggy oaks, just issuing their gold, and floor spaces diapered with woodruff, with patches of dog-mercury and tufts of hyacinth. Two fallen trees still lay across the track. Syson jolted down a steep, rough slope, and came upon the open land, this time looking north as through a great window in the wood. He stayed to gaze over the level fields of the hilltop, at the village which strewed the bare upland as if it had tumbled off the passing wagons of industry and been forsaken. There was a stiff, modern, grey little church, and blocks and rows of red dwellings lying at random. At the back, the twinkling headstocks of the pit, and the looming pit-hill. All was naked and out of doors, not a tree. It was quite unaltered. Syson turned, satisfied, to follow the path that sheared downhill into the wood. He was curiously elated, feeling himself back in an enduring vision. He started. A keeper was standing a few yards in front, barring the way. "'Where might you be going this road, sir?' asked the man. The tone of his question had a challenging twang. Syson looked at the fellow with an impersonal, observant gaze. It was a young man of four or five-and-twenty, ruddy and well-favoured. His dark blue eyes now stared aggressively at the intruder. His black moustache, very thick, was cropped short over a small, rather soft mouth. In every other respect, the fellow was manly and good-looking. He stood just above middle height. The strong forward thrust of his chest and the perfect ease of his erect, self-sufficient body gave one the feeling that he was taut with animal life, like the thick jet of a fountain balanced in itself. He stood with the butt of his gun on the ground, looking uncertainly and questioningly at Syson. The dark, restless eyes of the trespasser, examining the man and penetrating into him without heeding his office, troubled the keeper and made him flush. "'Where is Naylor? Have you got his job?' Syson asked. "'You're not from the house, are you?' inquired the keeper. It could not be, since everyone was away. "'No, I'm not from the house,' the other replied. It seemed to amuse him. "'Then might I ask where you were making for?' said the keeper, nettled. "'Where I am making for?' Syson repeated. "'I'm going to Willie Water Farm.' "'This isn't the road.' "'I think so. Down this path, past the well, and out by the white gate. "'But that's not the public road.' 
i suppose not i used to come so often in naylor's time i had forgotten where is he by the way crippled with rheumatism the keeper answered reluctantly is he syson exclaimed in pain and who might you be asked the keeper with a new intonation john adderley syson i used to live in cordy lane used to court hilda millership syson's eyes opened with a pained smile he nodded there was an awkward silence. "'And you, who are you?' asked Syson. "'Arthur Pilbeam, Naylor's my uncle,' said the other. "'You live here in Nuttall. I'm lodging at my uncle's, at Naylor's.' "'I see. Did you say you was going down to Willie Water?' asked the keeper. "'Yes.' There was a pause of some moments before the keeper blurted, "'I'm courtin' Hilda Millership.' The young fellow looked at the intruder with a stubborn defiance, almost pathetic. Syson opened new eyes. "'Are you?' he said, astonished. The keeper flushed dark. "'She and me are keepin' company,' he said. "'I didn't know,' said Syson. The other man waited uncomfortably. "'What, is the thing settled?' asked the intruder. "'How settled?' retorted the other sulkily. "'Are you going to get married soon, and all that?' The keeper stared in silence for some moments, impotent. "'I suppose so,' he said, full of resentment. "'Ah!' Syson watched closely. "'I'm married myself,' he added, after a time. "'You are,' said the other incredulously. Syson laughed in his brilliant, unhappy way. "'This last fifteen months,' he said. The keeper gazed at him with wide, wondering eyes, apparently thinking back and trying to make things out. "'Why, didn't you know?' asked Syson. "'No, I didn't,' said the other sulkily. There was silence for a moment. "'Ah, well,' said Syson, "'I will go on. I suppose I may.' The keeper stood in silent opposition. The two men hesitated in the open, grassy space, set around with small sheaves of sturdy bluebells, a little open platform on the brow of the hill. Syson took a few indecisive steps forward, then stopped. "'I say, how beautiful!' he cried. He had come in full view of the downslope. The wide path ran from his feet like a river, and it was full of bluebells, save for a green winding thread down the centre where the keeper walked. Like a stream the path opened into azure shallows at the levels, and there were pools of bluebells with still the green thread winding through, like a thin current of ice-water through blue lakes." and from under the twig purple of the bushes swam the shadowed blue, as if the flowers lay in flood-water over the woodland. "'Ah, isn't it lovely!' Syson exclaimed. This was his past, the country he had abandoned, and it hurt him to see it so beautiful. Wood-pigeons cooed overhead, and the air was full of the brightness of birds singing. "'If you're married, what do you keep writing to her for, and sending her poetry books and things?' asked the keeper." Syson stared at him, taken aback and humiliated. Then he began to smile. "'Well,' he said, "'I did not know about you.' Again the keeper flushed darkly. "'But if you are married,' he charged. "'I am,' answered the other cynically. Then looking down the blue, beautiful path, Syson felt his own humiliation. "'What right have I to hang on to her?' he thought, bitterly self-contemptuous. "'She knows I'm married and all that.' he said. "'But you keep sending her books,' challenged the keeper. Syson, silenced, looked at the other man quizzically, half-pitying. Then he turned. "'Good day,' he said, and was gone. 
now everything irritated him the two sallows one all gold and perfume and murmur one silver-green and bristly reminded him that here he had taught her about pollination what a fool he was what god-forsaken folly it all was ah well he said to himself the poor devil seems to have a grudge against me i'll do my best for him he grinned to himself in a very bad temper End of chapter one chapter two the farm was less than a hundred yards from the wood's edge the wall of trees formed the fourth side to the open quadrangle the house faced the wood with tangled emotions syson noted the plume blossom falling on the profuse coloured primroses which he himself had brought here and set how they had increased there were thick tufts of scarlet and pink and pale purple primroses under the plum-trees he saw somebody glance at him through the kitchen window heard men's voices the door opened suddenly very womanly she had grown he felt himself going pale you addie she exclaimed and stood motionless who called the farmer's voice men's low voices answered those low voices curious and almost jeering roused the tormented spirit in the visitor smiling brilliantly at her he waited myself why not he said the flush burned very deep on her cheek and throat we're just finishing dinner she said then i will stay outside he made a motion to show that he would sit on the red earthenware pipkin that stood near the door among the daffodils and contained the drinking water oh no come in she said hurriedly he followed her in the doorway he glanced swiftly over the family and bowed everyone was confused the farmer his wife and the four sons sat at the coarsely laid dinner-table the men with arms bare to the elbows i'm sorry i come at lunch-time said syson hello addy said the farmer assuming the old form of address but his tone cold how are you and he shook hands shall you have a bit he invited the young visitor but taking for granted the offer would be refused he assumed that syson was become too refined to eat so roughly the young man winced at the imputation have you had any dinner asked the daughter no replied syson it is too early i shall be back at half-past one you call it lunch don't you asked the eldest son almost ironical he had once been an intimate friend of this young man we'll give addy something when we've finished said the mother an invalid deprecating no don't trouble i don't want to give you any trouble said syson you could allus live on fresh air and scenery laughed the youngest son a lad of nineteen syson went round the buildings and into the orchard at the back of the house where daffodils all along the hedgerow swung like yellow ruffled birds on their perches he loved the place extraordinarily the hills ranging round with bearskin woods covering their giant shoulders and small red farms like brooches clasping their garments the blue streak of water in the valley the bareness of the home pasture the sound of myriad threaded bird singing which went mostly unheard to his last day he would dream of this place when he felt the sun on his face or saw the small handfuls of snow between the winter twigs or smelt the coming of spring hilda was very womanly in her presence he felt constrained she was twenty-nine as he was but she seemed to him much older he felt foolish almost unreal beside her she was so static as he was fingering some shed plum-blossom on a low bough she came to the back door to shake the tablecloth fowls raced from the stackyard birds rustled from the trees 
her dark hair was gathered up in a coil like a crown on her head she was very straight distant in her bearing as she folded the cloth she looked away over the hills presently syson returned indoors she had prepared eggs and curd cheese stewed gooseberries and cream since you will dine to-night she said i have only given you a light lunch it is awfully nice he said you keep a real idyllic atmosphere your belt of straw and ivy buds still they heard each other he was uneasy before her her brief sure speech her distant bearing were unfamiliar to him he admired again her grey-black eyebrows and her lashes their eyes met he saw in the beautiful grey and black of her glance tears and a strange light and at the back of all calm acceptance of herself and triumph over him he felt himself shrinking with an effort he kept up the ironic manner she sent him into the parlour while she washed the dishes the long low room was refurnished from the abbey sale with chairs upholstered in claret-coloured rep many years old and an oval table of polished walnut and another piano handsome though still antique in spite of the strangeness he was pleased opening a high cupboard led into the thickness of the wall he found it full of his books his old lesson-books and volumes of verse he had sent her english and german the daffodils in the white window-bottoms shone across the room he could almost feel their rays the old glamour caught him again his youthful water-colours on the wall no longer made him grin he remembered how fervently he had tried to paint for her twelve years before she entered wiping a dish and he saw again the bright kernel-white beauty of her arms you are quite splendid here he said and their eyes met do you like it she asked it was the old low husky tone of intimacy he felt a quick change beginning in his blood it was the old delicious sublimation the thinning almost the vaporizing of himself as if his spirit were to be liberated i he nodded smiling at her like a boy again she bowed her head this was the countess's chair she said in low tones i found her scissors down here between the padding did you where are they Quickly, with a lilt in her movement, she fetched her work-basket, and together they examined the long-shanked old scissors. "'What a ballad of dead ladies,' he said, laughing, as he fitted his fingers into the round loops of the countess's scissors. "'I knew you could use them,' she said, with certainty. He looked at his fingers, and at the scissors. She meant his fingers were fine enough for the small-looped scissors. "'That is something to be said for me,' he laughed, putting the scissors aside." she turned to the window he noticed the fine fair down on her cheek and her upper lip and her soft white neck like the throat of a nettle flower and her forearms bright as newly blanched kernels he was looking at her with new eyes and she was a different person to him he did not know her but he could regard her objectively now shall we go out a while she asked yes he answered but the predominant emotion that troubled the excitement and perplexity of his heart was fear fear of that which he saw there was about her the same manner the same intonation in her voice now as then but she was not what he had known her to be he knew quite well what she had been for him and gradually he was realizing that she was something quite other and always had been she put no covering on her head merely took off her apron saying we will go by the larches as they passed the old orchard she called him in to show him a blue tit's nest in one of the apple-trees and a sycox in the hedge 
he rather wondered at her surety at a certain hardness like arrogance hidden under her humility look at the apple buds she said and he then perceived myriads of little scarlet balls among the drooping boughs watching his face her eyes went hard she saw the scales were fallen from him and at last he was going to see her as she was it was the thing she had most dreaded in the past and most needed for her soul's sake now he was going to see her as she was he would not love her and he would know he never could have loved her the old illusion gone they were strangers crude and entire but he would give her her due she would have her due from him she was as brilliant as he had not known her she showed him nests a jenny wren's in a low bush see this jinty's she exclaimed he was surprised to hear her use the local name she reached carefully through the thorns and put her fingers in the nest's round door five she said tiny little things she showed him nests of robins and chaffinches and linnets and buntings of a wagtail beside the water and if we go down nearer the lake i will show you a kingfisher's among the young fir trees she said there's a throstle's or a blackie's on nearly every bough every ledge the first day when i had seen them all i felt as if i mustn't go in the wood it seemed a city of birds and in the morning hearing them all i thought of the noisy early markets i was afraid to go in my own wood she was using the language they had both of them invented now it was all her own he had done with it she did not mind his silence but was always dominant letting him see her wood as they came along a marshy path where forget-me-nots were opening in a rich blue drift we know all the birds but there are many flowers we can't find out she said it was half an appeal to him who had known the names of things she looked dreamily across to the open fields that slept in the sun i have a lover as well you know she said with assurance yet dropping again almost into the intimate tone this woke in him the spirit to fight her i think i met him he's good-looking also in arcady without answering she turned into a dark path that led uphill where the trees and undergrowth were very thick they did well she said at length to have various altars to various gods in old days ah yes he agreed to whom is the new one there are no old ones she said i was always looking for this and whose is it he asked i don't know she said looking full at him i'm very glad for your sake he said that you are satisfied ay but the man doesn't matter so much she said there was a pause no he exclaimed astonished yet recognizing her as her real self it is one's self that matters she said whether one is being one's own self and serving one's own god there was silence during which he pondered the path was almost flowerless gloomy at the side his heel sank into soft clay end of chapter two end of section thirteen